each week. Usually, he and his wife, die, travel to a different Berean church most weeks out of the year. Uh, he met with us as elders and wives uh, last night to train us and encourage us, and now he is here to train and encourage all of us together. Um, uh, Di has uh, had a pretty serious ankle surgery not long ago, so she's not traveling so well. So he's flying solo this trip, but help me welcome Scott Mathis. All right. Thanks, Pastor Matt. Love you, brother. Great to be here at Imperial Berean. I love this church, love this community. I pray frequently for you all. I have a deep love and appreciation for our Berean Fellowship, which is about 57 churches scattered across the United States. And as Pastor Matt said, Di and I usually go to a different one each weekend, inspiring and influencing God's people, local churches, to be on mission for Jesus. One of the amazing direct correlations that happens in local churches is uh, lost people in the community start to turn from their sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and have their lives totally changed by Jesus when church people start to grow up. And so each uh, week this year, I am preaching the same sermon at every church. So if you get offended by this sermon or get your, you know, a little conviction going, just recognize that I've been doing this all over the United States all year long. Uh, I am preaching this same sermon and the correlation between Christ ones growing up out of their unholy and unhealthy reactions to conflict and becoming grace-centered, Christ-empowered individuals who instead of reacting in uh, unhealthy ways to conflict, but those people who are growing out of that, there is this amazing work of God then that the lost people in the community see Christians growing up and becoming more healthy in how they handle conflict, and they come to faith in Jesus. And my passion for our Berean Fellowship is that every one of our Berean churches be this healthy, life-giving church where individually and then, of course, corporately, we are growing out of the unhealthy ways we've learned how to do conflict and growing out of them so that lost people can get saved. Researchers have found that uh, all over the world that generally we take what we learn in our family of origin, like how our parents handled conflict, how we learned how to handle conflict with siblings, or how we learned on the playground at recess or whatever how to handle conflict, and we we generally, most humans, do one or two consistent ways, unholy ways, of reacting to conflict. And so researchers have found that there's these these set of ways that people all over the world generally pick one or two of these ways, and that's their kind of go-to method when they uh, encounter conflict. And these conflict coping mechanisms always end up bringing more conflict. And so I read all the research and, and, and from the human behaviorists and put them, if so we can remember, and, and on your handy-dandy little outline tonight, or this morning, or whenever it is, or wherever I'm at. Um, it all runs together for me after a while. But uh, they're all beginning with the letter F. And so some people, when they encounter conflict, number one on your outline, they get ferocious. 
they've learned that when I encounter conflict, if I just get really ferocious, really mad, really quickly, and go from a 1 to a 10, that that somehow proves effective for me. That's a lie, but that's what they think. And, and some of you are living with a ferocious type person, right? And they just slam covered doors, they yell, they cuss, they, they scream at you, or they, they beat the horse, or they, you know, hit the, they throw tools across the shop when they get ferociously mad. And that is a common reaction. There's a certain subset of every population all over the world, when they encounter conflict, they get ferocious. A second common conflict coping mechanism, and this would actually be one of my preferred ways, because honestly, I hate conflict. I hate it. I grew up in some tough things. I left home at age 14, and, and I just learned that I had to, I, I just couldn't stand conflict. And so some people just flee. That's second on your outline. And, and, and maybe you're one of them people. Uh, you, you encounter conflict, you're like, uh, uh, no, I am going to shut down or I'm going to even physically flee. I can guarantee you there's probably uh, people that used to be part of this congregation who had conflict inside this congregation and their go-to mechanism is, I'm gone. I'm just going to flee. It isn't worth the hassle. It's very common amongst, in, in, in Christendom is we think it's godly just to flee whenever we have conflict. Right? I'm just going to flee. Now, obviously, there's sometimes we need to flee if it's unsafe physically, etc. But, but, but what I had to learn in my life is, you know, Di and I'd have conflict, my wife, and I would just be like, I'm gone. I'd just split. And she'd be like, but we haven't resolved anything. So some people get ferocious. Some people flee. Uh, some people learn just how to be, really be good fakers. Number three on your outline, they just, they just fake it. I've had employees who I thought we were good, man, we're on the same team doing well, and then I find out later they're just faking it to my face. They couldn't stand me. They had all this conflict built up with me, but I didn't even know because they were so good at faking it to my face and, of course, behind my back saying how horrible I was, and probably some of it was true. But the, the point being is some of you have just learned. You've just somehow internalized, I'm just going to go through life faking it. And, boy, that is a miserable existence to just have to fake it. And we all have to fake it some days, right? Because we just are, one of, are mad at the world. And, and to be socially acceptable, we just have to be. But I'm talking about never saying, Jesus, can you help me resolve this conflict with my spouse or, or in my church? Uh, and so some people just fake it, and it's so lonely, and there's a lot of addictions that come out of just people learning to fake it instead of learning to deal with conflict in a Christ-empowered, Christ-honoring way. Uh, fourth common conflict coping mechanism, it's all your fault. Have you ever dealt with somebody like this? It's never their fault. Their narcissists are famous for this, right? It's all someone else's fault. And, and so they just go through life self-justifying um, themselves into everybody else is messed up. I wouldn't have any conflict if you didn't make me mad. If you wouldn't do this, I wouldn't have to have conflict and it's all your fault. Again, miserable way to live. 
Uh, and we'll talk about more about this a little bit later. Uh, fifth common conflict coping mechanism is some people just go frigid. They just put ice around their feelers. And, and, and some of you might even be here this morning. And, and maybe you're married. And at one time it was warm and close, but you have never learned to walk through conflict in a Christ-empowered, Christ-glorifying way. And you're just cold. You're just cold to each other. Or, 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 or maybe you're here and you're just cold towards the things of God. And, and we sing those awesome songs about God, but, but con, your conflict coping mechanisms have not been biblical. And so you're just frigid now towards God and His love for you. And, and, and life has just wore you down. And so you've just like, it ain't worth it. I'd rather not feel it all. I'm just going to put ice around my heart. And so there again, another common conflict coping mechanism. And then finally, which would be another one of my preferred ways of dealing with conflict, uh, some people, when you, when you have conflict with them, they just make fun. And, and if I have conflict with you, if, if I can't just flee immediately, I'll just make a joke. Uh, let's, I'll just make fun of you or the situation and then flee right? Uh, and, and have you ever, again, it's tough. I would drive my wife crazy because I'm just making jokes and ha 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 and let's just, you know, not really deal with the issues, but uh, I just, I just want to be a comedian, you know, and, and she'd be like, no, Scott, we need to deal with this. And I would make jokes or make fun of her or the situation. So those are six common conflict coping mechanisms that, that uh, uh, human behaviorists have found and so, but what about Jesus? How does Jesus want us to grow through this broken world, being broken and yet healed by Him, and learning through Him in this process called life of not having to do, repeat the sins that we learned in our family of origin, or what we learned on that sports team, or on the playground? I have been on my knees begging the Holy Spirit of the living God who raised Jesus from the dead that He would transcend your self-justifications. That He, in His power and holiness, would do a work in each one of our lives this morning that we're not just playing games here. That we would have an encounter with the living, holy God of the universe and discover His grace in such a way that we would walk out those doors when I get done preaching in two or three hours. Transformed more fully into the image of Jesus Christ. That some of us would encounter God in such a way that we decide, I know that I have these patterns that I repeat over and over again. I flee every time or I get ferocious every time. I yell at my kids or I yell at my, my wife every time. And I am sick of it. And I'm willing to let Jesus do a miracle of life transformation. And I have prayed. You see, I'm not just doing this for, to, to make a living. Believe me, I could make a lot better living besides driving 100,000 miles a year, preaching at a million churches and not knowing where I'm at half the time. But I'm called by the living God and assigned to preach to the body of Christ at large, and I want you to respond rightly to our loving Heavenly Father and His overtures of compassion and grace to you to show you 
that you can live a better life. Even if you're old and you're here today. Even if you're a teenager in here today, you can grow up out of, because so many people are literally, they're stuck at three years old emotionally. They act like three-year-olds when they get, and they throw themselves on the floor. Or some of you are literally stuck at 12 years old emotionally. You're older physically, but emotionally, you're just still giving people the silent treatment or, or going off on somebody or gossiping about somebody and always whining and complaining instead of dealing with conflict in Christ's way. And so, my friends, Holy Spirit, will you please continue to work in us so you can do a work through us? It's not about us. It's about us growing up so that the lost people in, in, in this region get a living example of you, Jesus, in your power. And they say, man, I need this Jesus. That those people who I used to watch handle conflict in totally wrong ways, and I see that they're growing up. They used to act like two-year-olds, and now they're grown up. Oh God, do a work through your word like only you can. In your precious name I pray, Jesus. Amen and amen. So, as Jesus so often taught by asking questions, uh, I've just come up with ten questions that I've kind of learned to ask myself when I encounter conflict. Uh, and, and so, we're just going to go through. This isn't your typical sermon. I'll, I'm going to skip a ton of these uh, passages. Okay, I think they're listed on your outline. You're Bereans. You're supposed to go home and read them anyway. Okay? Uh, so, you know, don't, don't email Pastor Matt. Well, he didn't break forth the word of life as good as you do. Well, I won't. But it's a different style of sermon today, okay? Deal with it. If you want to get mad, don't go ferocious on me because I'll just flee. <laughs> Ten questions to ask. We're going to go race through these really quickly. Question number one, how much of this conflict is my fault? Like seriously, under the truth of Jesus, because we are right with a holy God through our faith in Jesus Christ, you and I can learn to be able to start to be truthful with ourselves. Instead of professionally justifying, you make me mad, or I have to get my voice in this tone, or I have to go ferocious or flee from you, or whatever it is, or go fake on you, through the truth of Jesus, when I have a conflict, I can honestly say, man, you started this, but my response has become 50% of the problem here. And we start with that question because when you begin to say, okay, I've got a conflict, what percentage of this conflict is my fault? Then we can have actual solutions uh, to it. Then we can find Christ's way. When there is humility in, 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 the, in one or both sides to say, hey, I acknowledge that, that I'm at fault here and I'm willing to go there, that helps resolution, conflict resolution in unbelievable ways. And, and, and unfortunately, like, and, and again, Di and I have one of those crazy stories. Uh, I was majoring in the history in I was majoring in history at the University of Wyoming to disprove Christianity. I, I hated Christians, okay? And so I, I'm, uh, uh, I became an alcoholic in college, and I'm crazy, and I'm going to the bar every night, and I meet this girl in the bar, Diane. She was an athlete, okay? Four days later, we moved in together. 
Then she came to me with a little stick she'd peed on and, and showed me she was pregnant. My reaction was, get an abortion. Because she was not my type and I had no intention of ever being, she was just a party girl. And she looked at me and, with tears on 7th floor McIntyre Hall at the University of Wyoming and I can still see it at the exact spot in that hallway with tears coming, holding that stick, saying, no, I can't get an abortion. So I went off and got drunk and then I came back and said, well, let's just get married. So we get married. No conflict there. Hardly know each other. She's a leader. I'm a leader. But I hate conflict. I just would flee. She could get a little ferocious back then. It was really hard. And, and neither one of us were willing to admit what percentage we played in our conflicts. And we, would, we fought about the same stuff over and over and over again. That's where some of you are at. Some of you have have never had the the self-examination to say, man, I'm repeating patterns over and over, and I need to grow up and grow out of them. God's Word says that pride always leads to conflict in Proverbs 13.10. And those who take advice are wise. Listen to this verse, Proverbs 14.9. Fools make fun of guilt. You're a fool if you say, I, everybody else is 100% at fault. I'm never at fault. You're a fool. It really convicts me because, remember, I'm the one who makes fun all the time. Fools make fun of it, fun of guilt, but the godly acknowledge it and seek reconciliation. The beauty of authentic Christianity is that we are reconciled to this holy God by, this, by the perfect sacrifice of Jesus in our place. And the beauty of reconciliation means that you and I can grow in our understanding that because we're reconciled to a holy God, we need to pursue reconciliation with those people we're in conflict with. And so, question number two, am I willing to attempt real reconciliation or am I just trying to win the argument? Again, so much of us, when you and I have conflict with, with your if teenagers, with your parental units, or with each other, or spouses, or uh, at work. Our, when we have conflict, generally our deal is, is we want to win the argument, don't we? We want to prove that they're worse sinners than we are. Uh, we might have blown it a little, but you're a heck of a lot more worse than me. And the goal when we're, when we're in this, these conflict seasons is, isn't reconciliation. It's to prove that someone is more wrong than we are. And that never leads to reconciliation. But when we fight for reconciliation, when we begin saying, I'm willing to admit that I'm 30% or 50 or 99 and 41, 400 percent at fault here, and I, but my goal is, is that we are going to have this conflict, but we're going to learn to do it in a way that leads to true, authentic reconciliation that changes everything. When, the, when, the, when there is initial passion on one or both of the parties uh, of, hey, our goal here is through Jesus to be reconciled, 
and, and brought back together in unity, that changes everything. That's why God's Word says in Ephesians 4.3, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. So much of the time we listen, right? Just long enough to think we know where they're, at, they're going. We quit listening to each other and we begin to formulate these arguments, right? We lawyer ourselves up and we write really good briefs, man. I mean, when, when Di and I would fight, I could usually think a little bit quicker on my feet and, 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 and I would just try to dominate her because I could talk quicker than her. And I'd lawyer myself up, but that wasn't, it never ended in reconciliation. It never lend, ended in peace. But when Di and I began to figure out, hey, our goal here is we want to be reconciled. That we're, because of our reconciliation with God, we can learn to be reconciled with each other. Again, God's Word says that fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. Friends, are you attempting real reconciliation or are you just trying to win the argument? Question number three, ask yourself, train yourself. Okay, I've got this conflict. In five years, is this really going to matter? Like, seriously, is it really that big a deal? Is this something we really need to be in conflict about? Again, you'll be sick of hearing about Di and I by the end of this sermon. But, uh, so, again, you know a little of the history, right? We don't really know each other. But Di, it, it, our house is clean. But when we were young, and this was before Jesus, okay? Uh, but before, and she was coaching volleyball. And one weekend she was off with her team somewhere for the weekend coaching volleyball. And I read this article. And again, I grew up, I never did anything around the house. I always worked outside, okay? I mean, to this day, I can barely boil water. I, I, I mean, I had never done anything around the house. But I read this article that said, if husbands help around the house, it helps in every area of the marriage relationship. I was all over that one. I cleaned the house while she was gone. Yep. I even did the laundry. Couldn't wait for her to get home. Do you know the first thing she noticed? I folded the towels wrong. The edges showed somehow or something. And we got in the biggest fight over how to fold towels. Now, maybe, just maybe, we should have stopped and said, in five years, is this really going to matter? Like, seriously, can't Jesus overcome some of our OCD tendencies to recognize that people are going to do some things different than us that we wouldn't prefer, but it's not wrong, it's just different? Churches are splitting over these things. Marriages are divorcing over these things. Of course, some of you anal ones are like, yeah, you got to fold them towels just like I do. If you don't, you know, that is legitimate. I'm sure there's a verse in the Bible that says, I need to divorce you because you fold the towels wrong. Friends, seriously, honestly, we can grow to see that people are raised differently than us, that people have different strengths than us, that, that, that their personal preferences aren't wrong, it's just a little bit different than us, and it isn't life or death. Too many people are dying on the wrong hills. Too many people are fighting. We see it in old married couples. They're, they're old. They should have unity and they're still picking at each other. You know, and they're telling a story and, and one says, yeah, back in October and the other one breaks in. No, no, it was February. 
well, really, who cares in the big picture of things? Is it really that necessary? But no, my insecurity says you've got to get it right and I've got to prove you wrong in this public uh, conversation. Can't we be better than that? As blood-bought children of the Most High God, can't we extend an amount of grace and say, wow, you might remember that story a little differently or remember a different date, but we don't have to fight about it. So you fold towels with the, the, the edges showing or not showing. Friends, we've been seated. The Bible teaches in Ephesians chapter 2 that we're seated in the heavenlies with Christ and there's some mystery to all this, this uh, reality and absolute truth. But as Christ ones, we can grow to understand I can have a big picture, uh, eternal perspective in life. That I don't have to constantly get caught up in fighting about stuff that in five years isn't really that important. That through Jesus, as I study His Word and live in authentic Christianity I, and, and, and learn how to love God and love people, that I don't have to get wound up and fight about people not seeing things my way all the time on issues that aren't necessarily biblical. Question number four. Have I talked to God about this or just other people? Or do you just passively aggressive post something on Facebook um, about how horrible a situation is without really naming them? But my point is, is when you encounter conflict, where do you go first? Di and I had to learn. Again, we had to learn to... Hey, we're going down the wrong road here that never ends in reconciliation. And we are going down a road of anger and fighting. Let's stop and talk to God. And there were times in Diane's marriage early on where we were like, you go your way, I'll go my way, and we'll talk to God, and then we're at seven tonight, we're going to resolve this because our goal will be reconciliation. But too often, what happens when we encounter conflict we call somebody, right? Usually somebody who kind of usually, even subconsciously, will agree with us. You know, I mean, husband and wife get in a fight, right? You know, and, and they get in the, maybe it was over towels, I don't know. But they get in this massive fight, and, and instead of going to God, what, what the wife, Mom, he did it again. Yeah. He did this and that and this. What do you think? She's a mom. What's she going to say, right? Oh, honey. I had my concerns about that boy from the first time you started dating him. <laughs> How's that ever going to end in reconciliation? Same scenario, man. The, the husband in that, in that scenario, right? Shuffles into work the next day, you know, shoulders slumped. Yeah, me and the old lady, we got in the biggest fight over couples last night. What do the buddies at work say? Oh, yeah, my wife, she's anal too, and, and, and I can't believe it, and you... you does that end in reconciliation? No. Who do you go to when you encounter conflict? Train yourself again. I'm going to talk to God. And then we're going to, if you're married, hey, could we pray about this? And not pray like, God help my wife, she's being such a jerk right now. But God, will you reveal to us these unhealthy and unholy patterns we've established? Maybe I'm ferocious. Maybe I'm always faking it. Lord, will you help us be honest so that we can have true reconciliation? 
It's amazing. Have an issue at work. Instead of going to somebody that you know might take your side, go to God. God, help me. Jesus is still uh, real and powerful enough to give you insight in how to handle. Maybe it isn't an issue that you need to die on. Have you talked to God about this or just other people? I need to keep moving. But can I just say, and this isn't in your outline, do, no extra charge for this one. Do not handle uh, conflict via texting. It never has worked, and it never will work, okay? I, I mean, Di and I, when we were local church pastoring, oh my goodness, these people would come in and they get in these biggest fights because they were texting each other, trying to resolve conflict via texting. Do it face-to-face. No extra charge for that one. Question number five. Am I willing, though, to use a godly mediator? Obviously, sometimes we can talk to God and we can try to resolve these issues ourselves and we're just so broken that, that we need somebody's help. And God has always provided some wise people in the body of Christ to help us. Di and I needed a guy named Leland to help us when we were first saved, to coach us up on how, a lot of what I'm preaching today, on, on coach us on, hey, he just helped mediate and, and helped us see beyond the immediate conflict to see how we were still operating as 12-year-olds or 2-year-olds or probably, in my case, 1-year-old. Um, and, and so sometimes you just need a godly mediator. God has put people in the body of Christ that help us, and there's no shame in that. There's no shame in, in, in saying, man, we need some outside help. Yes, uh, we've talked to God and we've talked to God, but we can't ever seem to get this figured out. Go to somebody. God will provide somebody to help you. Are you willing to use a godly mediator? Question number six. Oh, no. I want to quote a verse about number five. Not quote, but read. Proverbs fifteen twelve. Mockers hate to be corrected, so they stay away from the wise. Mockers hate to be corrected, so they stay away from the wise. I have seen it over and over again. People in constant conflict, but they hate to be corrected, so they stay away from that wise mediator, and they reject getting the help, and they stay miserable for years. I think that Jesus wants us to grow up. Question number six, am I trying to be God or godly in this conflict? And what I mean by this is, Again, in love. Friends, you don't make a very good God. But unfortunately, a lot of us think we are. When it comes to conflict, you make me mad, I'm going to give you the silent treatment for this the next week. You make me mad and I'm going to go ferocious on you. That's playing God with somebody. That's forgetting all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That says he poured all his wrath for your sin and mine on his only son on the cross. But we say, yeah, okay, but I'm going to make someone pay for their sin. But friends, pain, making, trying to make someone pay for their sin against you by sinning yourself doesn't work. It will not work. It cannot work. The only way... To, to peace in the Christian life is to recognize and live out the gospel in every day of life because we can't make somebody pay for their sin because Jesus Christ already did 2,000 years ago on a cross outside of Jerusalem. 
And authentic Christianity allows you and I to walk in the Spirit to say, I really want to make them pay. But I can't. Because Jesus already has, and therefore I can communicate. Because I'm not God, but I can be godly. And I can communicate. And I can explain. Your, your actions hurt me. Can, you help, can we uh, uh, attempt reconciliation here? I, I'm willing to admit that my reaction wasn't good, but can we talk through this and resolve this? Are you trying to be God or godly? Trying to be God tries to make people pay for their sin that you've done against you. That they've done against you. And, and you end up sinning in, in trying to make them pay. Don't, great verse for, for this year, Proverbs 20, 22. Don't say, I will get even for this wrong. Wait for the Lord to handle the matter. Question number seven, quickly, am I recognizing that the devil desires disunity? You do know that we have an enemy, Satan, and he hates you. <laughs> and he wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. And he hates this church because great things are happening through this body. And he wants you, he wants you to stay stuck at five-year-old self when it comes to handling conflict. He wants you to not grow up and grow into the freedom that Christ Jesus has given you. He He is always at work. And yes, we can make too much of a, a deal about Satan, but he somehow has an influence. And I don't get it all, but I'm telling you, you and I need to keep the armor of God on. And you and I need to recognize that when we have conflict with another person, they're biblically not the enemy. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, Ephesians 6 teaches. That person that you're having conflict with isn't the enemy. They might be being controlled and influenced by the enemy, Satan, and the world and their own sinful nature, but they are never the enemy. They're someone that Christ died for. They're someone that Christ loves just as much as he loves you. And you and I need to continue to grow into recognizing we're fighting for reconciliation and Satan wants to blow this up. He, does, he wants to get me to flee. He wants me just to learn to live to be faking it my whole life. He wants me to be ferocious. But Jesus Christ has come to set the captives free. And Jesus Christ can empower us to learn how to grow in handling conflict. And there is a certain amount of conflict that sometimes you just have to say, I've tried and you release it. But much of the time it's not resolved because we have forgotten, we've forgotten that Satan wants to keep us in unholy reactions to conflict. Question number eight, am I willing to see other people's motive or perspective? And by this I mean, people look at the world differently than you do. And they see situations and they see different things than you do. Years ago when I was pastoring at Mitchell, Nebraska, we pastored there for 19 years and the church grew fairly large. And my goal, although I couldn't know everybody in the church, was to know everybody's name, okay? And so uh, there was a couple moved into the valley and started coming to Mitchell Berean, really nice couple, and Dean and Jelaine, and they always came to the eight, we did multiple services, they always came to the eight o'clock Sunday morning service, and I would greet them, and, and, and 
then one time I saw on my scheduler had, had set up a meeting with them. Meeting with Dean and Jelaine. And they came into my office, and again, you got to think in the context of, okay, they're coming fairly new, and they're coming to meet with a senior pastor of a fairly large church, right? So, and they were tight. I mean, when they came in, I could tell they were a little flushed in the face and, you know, a little puckered up, you know? And, of course, I, I'm a preacher, and you deal with marriage issues all the time, so I'm thinking, oh, another marriage blow up. And they sit down, and they began to talk, and they said, well, pastor, we just came in because we wanted to get your perspective on something, because there's obviously something wrong here, and we wanted to come and meet with you and resolve this issue. My, you know, after I picked my chin up off the floor, I'm like, can I hug you? Uh, I, I mean, you're here most, and, and I'm like, but I have no clue what you're, what's going on here. I, I don't know you. Remember fun, make fun. I don't know you well enough to be mad at you, I said. And they said, well, here's the deal, Pastor. You, you used to, we would drive into the 8 o'clock service, and we'd get out of the car and walk under that huge portico chair, and you'd greet us by name. Now you see us driving down the driveway into the building, and you turn and you go into the, into the building. And we think... What have we done to hurt your heart? And we're just here because we were committed to unity in the body. I said, can I give you a hug? You know, most people, you know, they just get mad and say, you know, go to the church down the road and say, oh, Scott Mathis is the worst preacher ever. Uh, but I said, I, I, I wasn't, what's the deal? I have no cognizance that it's you. Well, what we figured out in the flow of the conversation is they'd started being chronically late to 8 o'clock service. And, of course, where did my pagan mind go? You know, if you get your butt here on time, we wouldn't have to be having this conversation. I hate conflict. You know, I got other stuff to do. I want to go rope or ride my horse or whatever. But in the flow of the conversation, the man says, yeah, my wife, she works all night at the nursing home. She works till 7.30 in the morning, and it takes her writing her reports about another half hour. We're down a vehicle. The vehicle's stuck. Our other vehicle's stuck in the garage. And I pick her up. And we got, only can come to 8 o'clock service because then we go take care of his mom or her mom or something. And then I take her home so she can sleep for a few hours this afternoon so she can go back to work tonight. I said, this is awesome. This is authentic Christianity. This is really it being lived out. They came and met and said, I want to get your perspective. Your, what, what's your motive here? Help us understand. And we resolved it. I just called those people, by the way. They're, they're living in Idaho now. This, a, a, a week ago, I had the most delightful conversation with them. And, and I said, now, do, do you remember this? And they're like, oh, yeah, we remember that. Do you see the point, friends? That's how it should work. Don't, don't just assume, well, they're a jerk. They don't like me because they didn't talk to me. We jump to these conclusions so often. And, and we do it, in, and, and again, I'm from an ag era, I'm from Wyoming. Ag people are really good at this. Ag people are really good at jumping to conclusions. Oh, they did this, so, and oh, I'm not going to give big wave, it's the one finger wave. <laughs> I'm going to do the head nod, because we have issues here. Are you God? that you know their motive or perspective? Have you ever went to them and talked it out? Friends, 
that is authentic Christianity. I love the, that, 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 those people so much because I've told that story literally all over the world. And God has used their example to motivate hundreds, thousands of people to say, oh man, before I jump to conclusions, uh, uh, before I hold the grudge, I'm going to hold a conversation because it may be a result of a misunderstanding. Friends, are you willing to see other people's motive or perspective? Are you willing to make, take the time and to talk and ask questions? And can you help me understand? By the way, that's a great question. Can you help me understand why? Here, here's what I'm seeing. Can you help me understand? Question number nine. Who's my authority this morning? Like, honestly, every one of you, right now, we all love to apply sermons to someone else, right? But you yourself, who is your authority this morning? On a certain level, every corporate worship gathering of a, of a local church of Christians is coming to say, God, you're my authority, not me, not my culture, not my family of origin, not my hurt feelings. God, you are my authority. Who is your authority? I mentioned earlier that I've been on my knees asking the Spirit of the living God to transcend our self-justifications and excuse-making and grow us all up today. And it comes down to you deciding individually who's my authority. Is it Christ or the crowd? Is it the world or the Word? Is it Satan or the Savior? Is it your feelings or is it your faith in Jesus Christ? Who's your authority? Victory in the Christian life over uh, in learning how to handle conflict in a Christ-empowered, Christ-glorifying way. Victory is won through surrender. It's you waving the white flag and saying, God, I am sick of ignoring you, of, 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 of grieving your Holy Spirit within me because I go my own way and I get this tone in my voice when I'm dealing with my spouse. Or I get this tone when I'm constantly frustrated with my kids. And that's the soundtrack of their mind. And I want to break that cycle today because I want, I'm willing to say, you're my authority. God, I, I, I'm, I'm sick and tired of thinking that everybody has to see things my way around this house or my way around this workplace. I, I surrender you're my authority. I want to live out Jesus instead of living in this constant conflict and drama that's ruining my family and, 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 and making us frigid or, or, or making my husband or, or wife flee from me. Who's your authority today? Friends, choose this day who you will serve. Choose this day to let Jesus Christ be your authority. I'm about out of voice. But question number 10 Am I willing to accept God's grace this morning? <clears throat> There's probably not one of us, and I'm preaching this every week, right? There's not one of us that handles conflict in a Christ-empowered, Christ-glorifying way all the time. Probably a lot of us have been convicted, right? Some of you have been, the Holy Spirit's brought a situation where you need to have a conversation. Or you need some reconciliation. What are you going to do with that? 
Some of you have been reminded of how badly you handle conflict. Years ago, when I had been a pastor for six months, so I knew it all, beware of six-month-old pastors. And again, you've, you've heard snippets of my family of origin. I left home at 14. But we had this family reunion after I became a pastor and was pastoring for about six months. And so we were all gathered in this room, family of origin, all gathered, right? I'm the last of seven kids who lived. And, and, and there was a person in our family that had wounded our family. And I had never kind of really processed through that, but this person said something that triggered me within the first two hours of the family reunion. We're all sitting in this room. And I'm a preacher, and I know the word. And by golly, I straightened him out. I even used Bible verses. And you know what? On a certain level, I was right. But it was wrong. Because in the Christian life, it's not just telling the truth. It's telling the truth with love. And, 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 and I believe as you read the totality of Scripture, listen to me here. I know I've preached a long time. Listen to me. Sometimes we don't always have the right tone or the right timing when we say that truth and it turns it into sin even though it might be true. Your timing and your tone matter. I blew it. I... I messed up the family reunion. Now, by God's grace, I went to him and apologized, and I went to every person in that room and said I was wrong and I'm sorry. But you all know, if you've lived very long at all, once the toothpaste is out of the tube, it's pretty hard to get back in, isn't it? For months afterwards, I laid in bed beating on myself. How could you, Scott? And you're a preacher? That was so ignorant. What were you thinking? It was like Satan had his hands around my neck for months. And one night, and, and, and I don't want to go wacko on you, but I had an encounter with Jesus, and I don't think like he was in the room. I don't know how, how this all works. But Jesus asked me a question. Scott, you're really good at, why are you so good at believing grace for other people, but you won't accept it yourself? Scott, why are you so good at believing grace for other people, but you won't accept it yourself? Some of you can connect with this. Like, seriously, if some of you came up to me after this sermon and said, man, I, I blow it. I am an old Christian, but I do not handle conflict in a Christ-honoring, Christ-empowered way. I'd be like, you worthless sinner, get out of this church, move out of town. No, I wouldn't. You know what I would say? There's grace for that. God loves you. Jesus Christ paid for that sin. Don't be afraid to go get more grace from Jesus. I would be full of grace for you, but for me, when I blow it, I somehow revote to this, this method of trying to pay for sin myself. And I sometimes weirdly like just love to live in the shame and guilt 
and crawl through broken beer bottles, beating myself with a lead-tipped whip to pay for my sin. It doesn't do me any good. It doesn't do anybody any good. Some of you can resonate with this. Some of you are good at believing grace for others, but you have a hard time accepting it yourself. And some of you have been reminded that you don't do conflict well, and you do need to grow up. But will you accept grace? Will you accept that Jesus Christ has grace for that sin of yours? Sometimes we Christians are the best forgetters of the gospel. We've got to preach the gospel to ourselves. We can't pay for our sin. God's word is true. Romans chapter 5 and verse 20, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Some of you have blown it repeatedly for years. There's grace for that. And grace is not only the way to life in Christ, it is the way of life in Christ and the only way to grow out of the strongholds that have infiltrated our life and we are bound by repeating these unholy, unhealthy reactions to conflict is through grace. Through the Spirit of the living God exposing God's holiness and recognizing that He can empower us to live that way through grace. Will you accept grace today? Or are you going to persist in your self-determination ways that always leads to repeated acts of behavior that don't bring glory to Christ? Please accept grace. Christ paid for your sin. Accept it. Christianity isn't about behavior management or, or, or sin management. It's about Christ living His life through us through the person and work of the Holy Spirit. It isn't about us on a certain level trying harder. It's us surrendering and accepting grace. And that grace somehow miraculously empowers us to grow up out of our two-year-old selves. Grace is awesome and beautiful. Are you willing to accept God's grace today? Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Question number 11. Am I willing to accept that some people just don't need to be a part of my everyday life? And what I mean by this, generally as we go through life, if you've lived very long, there are some people who are so broken and so messed up that they live in constant conflict and drama. And they're unhealthy for you in, in, in your life. And sometimes we have to set some boundaries with certain people and say, I love you, we've attempted reconciliation, this isn't trying to make you pay for your sin, but here's a boundary. And sometimes we have to do that. And church, local churches sometimes have to do that, according to Titus 3.10. Uh, and, and, and God's Word says in, in Proverbs 22.10 that throw out the mocker and fighting t- goes too. Corals and insults will disappear. And the principle here is that sometimes you and I have to say, I love you, but here's a boundary. I've recently had to do this with a person on Facebook. Like, we've tried, but he just was convinced that I'm, you know, the greatest heretic that ever lived. And, and I'm like, no, I'm sorry, unfriend you. Doesn't mean I'm, I'm, I don't love you. I do love you. But there's a boundary here. I'm not going to let you dictate what other people think by your unholy behavior. Sometimes we have to do that. Now notice that's question 11, not number one. If you're like, that ought to be my number one. Everybody screwed up by me. You got issues, right? Well, how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond to this sermon? What are you going to do with this? 
Go back into Samo Samo. Go back into I don't care what that spitting cowboy preacher said. I'm going to do life my own way and handle conflict my own way. I'm right and he's wrong. You can make the issue about me. It ain't me. Your issue's with God. Who's your authority? Surrender. There's peace there. There's joy there. There's power there to overcome our unholy reactions to conflict. Jesus, thank you for this precious church. I love them so much, and I love this community. May this church grow in, in, out of some of these unholy patterns so that then the lost people in this community say, I need that Jesus they have. So I beg you to continue to do work in and through us. In your name I pray, amen. Pastor Matt. Thank you, Scott, so much. Uh, some other people here really needed to hear that. Starting with this guy right here. Um, you know, I can't think of a, a more perfect sermon to lead into a time of communion. Because I don't know who you were thinking about when Scott was preaching. I don't know who that conflict, that person that you just cannot seem to get along with was. But I can tell you this. They were not, you and that person are not farther estranged and farther apart than you were with the living God. And yet, Paul writes this, Romans 5, 10. For since while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Why? What was any portion of our conflict with God God's fault? What portion of that conflict was your fault? Was God, though, willing to attempt real reconciliation? Or was he just satisfied to wait till you were in front of him one day and say, I told you. No. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. As the guys come forward, pass out the bread, let's think about how we were reconciled to the one we were most estranged from. Pray with me over the bread. Father God, you have given us this symbol of the body of your son whom you gave that though we were enemies of yours, we would be reconciled to you through the death of your son. Commune with us. In Christ's name, amen. Scott said a minute ago that some, in the Christian life, we, we win conflict by surrendering. Where would he get that idea? The, it's the basis of our faith. We were at conflict 
we were at enmity with a holy God. And so in the person of his son, he surrendered his life in place of yours. Knowing that was coming, the night he was betrayed, he took bread, he gave a piece to each one of his friends who were there who were going to run out on him, abandon him, deny him, be ashamed of him. This is my body. It's broken for you. Why? Because he was going to surrender his life to take care of the conflict between them and their heavenly father. If you have accepted Christ, having done that for you, then do this in remembrance of him. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. I love that verse. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God because of what he gave for us. Father God, as the cups come around, we remember what you did on our behalf. We glory in the cross. It is our peace with the God who, by all rights, we should still be at enmity with. We love you for the blood that this juice represents in his name. Amen. That night after supper, Jesus took the cup. He said it was filled with the blood of the new covenant. Uh, That's the covenant in which we find forgiveness of sins. It was the price required to solve the conflict we had with the living God. And it was poured out freely for us. He asked that as often as we do this, we remember him. Amen. Thank you all for being here. I'm going to give Scott a minute to get out ahead of you so that you can uh, greet him. Thank him for being here with us. (laughs) Hey, stay and eat with us if you're hungry. Love you guys, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.